Anybody here live in Lake Helen? If you do, your mayor just um, did a song for you in church this morning. I would venture to say that um, we're the only church in America where a mayor sang a special in a church service on Sunday morning, potentially to some of his constituents. So... uh, <laughs> Amen. Does that mean the preacher gets to preach at the next commission meeting? I don't know. <laughs> Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder that we must never forget where we came from and uh, in Christ where we're going. And thank you that we, uh, I pray for Cameron and all those that share his responsibilities for civic duty, Father. I pray as your your word commands us that you would give them wisdom, discernment, uh, courage, love, and uh, humility before you, the King. And Lord, in that, uh, may you be blessed and honored. And Father, the same today as we open your word, I pray that you would help us today to see truth about you that we haven't consciously affirmed in our lives that needs to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Mercy. The word mercy, if you look at a dictionary definition, it would be something in the way of withholding of justice. Um, mercy is, is not getting justice. It's the withholding of that justice for something for which we deserve punishment and justice. Functionally, what does it look like? Well... Have any of us ever driven a car and done something stupid? (laughs) Have you ever driven a car and done something stupid? I.e., have you ever been like at an intersection and unintentionally, but you pulled out, let's say, in front of someone, and the person gratefully was able to swerve and avoid you and there wasn't a tragic accident Uh, through no fault of your own (laughs) there was no tragic accident because you were the fault of an accident had it happened in other words the car swerves and what kind of feeling do you get when just when that happens when that's over I mean what what is it well you're incredibly relieved but you're also incredibly grateful that you didn't get what you deserved I remember uh, and I'm sure many of you do too and some of you who are now experiencing as students if you're in a classroom and you have a teacher who gives a test and uh, you know you flunked it because you didn't know the material and you come back to class and discover that instead of giving an an F 
gratefully everybody in the class was as dumb as you are and uh and the teacher decided to grade on the curve and you ended up unexpectedly passing the test that's relief factor right some of you may remember me telling the story about when when i was in high school in the high school i attended my father was also on the faculty there and taught there uh, gratefully i never had him in class uh, but i remember my sophomore year i had taken algebra 2 and and the algebra teacher one day at the end of the school year was in the teacher's lounge and talking to my dad and she said you know brad has a d but he really doesn't understand the subject and my dad looked at her and said flunk him flunk him give him an f he he can do better than that and you don't let him don't let him get away with it so he didn't grade on the curve but the next year i was so ashamed by that that I really buckled down and I made a beta club and National Honor Society and everything else, right? That's the only year of my life I ever studied, but that year, I, shame motivated me. But, and then, and then how many of us have ever been driving down the road and unexpectedly, we see a blue light in the rearview mirror? Anybody ever had that happen? Oh, is that all? Are, are, are we lying today? What, what is this? Is this get away with a lie day? What are we doing here? Right? I know we have some people in the room who would be driving the car with the blue light on. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to get their perspective on this, right? So you, you discover that the speed limit was 35 and you were actually going 50, right? So you're dead to rights. <laughs> game over remember the feeling when you look in the rearview mirror and the policeman gets out of the car right and uh, the policeman gets out of the car and he's walking up and you remember that feeling you got while he's walking up there it's like oh my goodness so comes up there the policeman talks to you and guess what they say alright we're not going to give you a ticket this time we're just going to give you a warning and let you drive off What's the feeling you got when you're pulling away? And isn't it that same feeling, really? I dodged a bullet. You know, I didn't deserve not to have a ticket, but I'm not getting a ticket. You see, in all those instances, mercy would be what you had received, and that would be your reaction to it. As we're going through the year of the apostles and we're looking at the letters of the New Testament and we're examining them in the approximate order in which they were written or composed, then today we're in our final week in the book of Romans and we're going to explore the apostle Paul's response to the mercy of God. In order to do that, we're going to look at the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. Now, understand that in Romans, the first 11 chapters, Paul has given us basically a boilerplate description of the good news of Jesus Christ. He has given us sort of a, a boilerplate, foundational, faith 101 description of how God worked in Jesus to bring redemption to us. 
so that we could avoid his wrath and be restored to a relationship with him that's life-giving and as he intended. And how he worked through Jesus to do that, especially through his death, burial, and resurrection. So that's the first 11 chapters. But Paul, being a linear thinker as he is because he was a non-Hebraic Jew, he was a diaspora Jew, he grew up in uh, a Greco-Roman world, he didn't grow up in an Asian culture, so he didn't think in circles, he thought in lines like we do. That's the reason people love Paul in the West, especially because it's easy for him to follow him because he thinks the way we do, this, then this, then this. But people in the East, as in John and Peter, think in circles. So it's not as easy to follow them for us who grew up in the West. But that being said, he, true to form, the first 11 chapters lays it out in order. And then he concludes in chapter 11 laying that out, and then he begins chapter 12 with an important word, therefore, as Daniel reminded us, Daniel Stringer reminded us last week, when you run into a therefore in the Bible, you stop and ask, what for is the therefore, therefore? And what it's doing, it's referring back to what was just said. And in other words, because of that, here's the result. And so what he does in chapters 12 through the end of the book, he talks about the practical application of what it means to respond in faith to what God has done in Christ that he described in the first 11 chapters. So we get to the end of chapter 11, and he's concluding that entire section because that therefore in chapter 12, verse 1, refers to the first 11 chapters. And he's concluding the section, and we begin in verse 32 of chapter 11, and he says this remarkable statement. For God has shut up all mankind together in disobedience in order that he might show mercy to all. And all there that he's referring to in the immediate context is Jews and Gentiles. Both need mercy. But then when he says that, then he, he, it's, it's, it's as if he cannot contain himself. He in, in, inserts this unstoppable praise. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How inscrutable... <clears throat> are his judgments, how unsearchable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given him anything and made him pay it back? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. When Paul mentions the mercy of God, he can't contain himself. He, he has to just exude praise you see Paul's spontaneous response of praise for God's mercy is what we have an example of there and that is Paul's spontaneous response to God's mercy is to motivate him to praise when was the last time you thought about the mercy of God and it made you you couldn't stop yourself from praising him when you thought about specifically about his mercy. When was the last time that happened in your life as you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ? 
Now, he moves on after this almost parenthetical insert of praise. He continues his thought on how he has shut up all humanity together in disobedience in order that might show mercy to all. Then we get to the next line where he begins with the therefore. But understand, Paul did not write in chapters and verses. The Bible was not written in chapters and verses. The chapters and verses were added in their final form 1,500, 1,500 years after Jesus. The Bible was written just like other books, as whole documents. And you can even buy Bibles nowadays that don't have chapters and verses, so you can actually read them the way they were originally written, because what the chapters and verses do, they create artificial divisions for us as we read. And sometimes we miss the real flow of what's being said because of that. But in this particular case, as the flow goes on, he talks about the mercy of God, then he can't help himself, he's got to inject praise, and then he gets right back to the mercy of God, and he says, therefore, or I, read it with me, I exhort you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves as a sacrifice, living and set apart for God. This will please him, it is the logical temple worship for you. In other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of this present age. Instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you will know what God wants and will agree that what He wants is good, satisfying, and able to succeed. Now, if we can leave the first slide with the first section of the verse and then correspondingly as we get there to the second, let's dig a little deeper into this is that aside from the therefore that we've already explained that says that what he's going to say now is the result and our predictable and logical response to the good news of Jesus, he says, I exhort you in this particular rendering. The word exhort there, interestingly, is the exact same word in John 14 when Jesus is having the Passover with the disciples and he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. And he says, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you another comforter or another counselor or another helper, as some translations have it. The word in the original behind counselor, comforter, helper is the same word that's rendered exhort here. It's exactly the same word. And its primary understanding and meaning is encouragement. In other words, it's a word that means to be called alongside. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm trying to come along and motivate you. Get in there. Go for it. you got to do this. He's motivating them to do something. And, and he's motivating it based on God's mercy. In other words, the motivator that he's referring to is in view of God's mercies. Now, that's amazing. Paul has just expressed the mercy of God, the withholding of God's justice, the, the lack of, of, of condemnation of hum, humanity without any chance of redemption. That, that's the mercy of God. And, and Paul has just referred to that and couldn't help himself but to praise. But then he goes on, and he says, 
just as that mercy motivates him, he also thinks it should motivate us as well. In view of God's mercies, here's what he wants us to do. To offer yourselves as a sacrifice. What? Now, what's a sacrifice? It's something that is given up and done without and in this case voluntarily and this sacrifice is living and set apart for God in other words offer yourselves a living sacrifice and the word that is rendered there set apart is the word holy and the reason I like this rendering that David Stern does in his translation is he actually translates the word holy into what it means the word holy how how many have ever heard the word holy or read it in the Bible right what it means is set apart that's the definition of the word and it means distinct or separate from in other words he's saying because of God's mercy then give yourself up completely and fully to God because his mercy proves that he's safe in Christ and the only safe place you can exist because of what he's done in Christ and what he's proved in Christ The only safe place you can exist is in Him, and His mercy in Christ has shown us that as we live our lives in sacrificial abandonment to Him, then we're in the only real safe place in the universe. Because everywhere else is dangerous except in Christ living and set apart for God. And then he says, this will please him. And then the line, it is the logical temple worship for you. Now, that's one of the reasons I chose this rendering because this really gets at the heart of it. The word that is usually rendered this phrase in most Bible translations is this is your reasonable service or this is your reasonable worship or this is your reasonable spiritual worship. All those are accurate. Nothing inaccurate about them. But the word there is actually logical. The word is logic. Now, what is something that's logical? You use the word logical when you say, well, this situation exists, and this situation exists, so the only logical thing for me to do is this. In other words, we're driving down the road, and the road is blocked. And we need to get on down the road. So the only logical thing for us to do is find another route or go around what's blocking the road, right? In other words, there's no other option that is in any way practical or normal. What Paul is saying here is that in view of God's mercy that he's expressed in Christ, the only logical thing to do with your life is completely abandon yourself to Him. That's the only logical thing to do with your life. Nothing else makes sense. And then he says it's your temple worship because the word used there, it's also primarily translated service, but it's a specific kind of service. It means service in in view of worship of God. And, And it literally referred to temple worship. And so what he's saying is that as you abandon yourself and make yourself a living sacrifice 
This is the expression of worship to God with your life and the essence of it. You see, I think I was talking this week, I was talking to Pastor Carly, I think we've, we've, we've minimized and shortchanged the concept of worship in the Bible because there was an article this week in um, the Daily Bread about that, and, and the guy wrote, he said, in the evangelical subculture in the West, worship is music. That's, there's not a lot of competition either. Sure, pastors and teachers will point out that worship can be private as well as corporate, that you don't need a, a band to worship God, but we can't get away from the prevailing notion that worship is music. Churches reserve the opening portions of their services for worship, and they mean, without exception, singing of some kind of song. Now, that doesn't mean that singing is not worship. It absolutely is. Singing is the manifestation of praise in song, just as Paul did. And you cannot worship without praise. You cannot worship without praise. But the point is, biblically, worship is so much more than that. And not only does Romans 12 solidify that truth, but this guy goes on and does a phenomenal job in his article of going back and doing what we call the technical Bible study. The term is exegesis in the Hebrew in Genesis chapter 2. And he makes the point based on the Hebrew words used there that the word translated work that God placed Adam in the garden to work and to keep, that that word work, like this word, it also is rendered worship in the Hebrew and the Old Testament. And he's saying that Adam and Eve, their whole life was to be an expression of worship, just like the priest in the tabernacle and the temple later in Israel, because the garden was the temple of God. And they were there to maintain the temple, just like the priest later on, the tabernacle and the, and the actual temple. And, and he builds a beautiful statement of that. In fact, you look at the first worship service in the Bible, and where is it found? Genesis chapter 4. And what is it? Cain and Abel. And what do they do? Sacrifice. And you look throughout, what was the temple and the tabernacle? What was the purpose of those places? Sacrifice. Sacrifice is inseparable from worship in the Bible. And oh, by the way, isn't it funny that we get to Romans 12 and Paul says, in view of the mercy of God, then make your life a living sacrifice. This is your logical worship. And the guy finishes the article by saying, Worship, the way the Bible portrays it, is task-orienting every aspect of our life toward expressing our loyalty and love for God. Sing if you must, but don't forget the rest of your being. In other words, everything we do as we're a living sacrifice is an offering of worship to God. And that's what Paul is confirming to the Romans. Furthermore... How do we maintain this status of a living sacrifice? What's the old saying? Many of you maybe have heard it before. There's a problem with a living sacrifice. And what is it? It keeps crawling off the altar. Right? Because living and sacrifice, don't, they're, they're, they're contradictory concepts, right? And it's a paradox. But my point is that how we maintain that reality in our life is Paul goes on next to say 
Don't let yourselves be conformed to the standards of this present age. Instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you will know what God wants and will agree that what he wants is good, satisfying, and able to succeed. Now, in other words, instead of letting the world conform your mind to the world's values... Let your mind be renewed by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to conform to God's values. But here's the point. Paul doesn't tell us how to renew our minds here, does he? He doesn't give us a formula for that. May I suggest that this is how your mind, the primary instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to renew your mind? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. The Bible makes us sane. The Bible brings us into reality. The Bible gives us the expression through the Holy Spirit of the mind of Christ. If you don't, let me, I'm just going to say it. If you don't read your Bible or listen to it on tape, if you can't see to read, that's fine. I mean, man, you can get that stuff free on your phone. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous, right? You're not ever going to grow in Christ. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And I'm amazed at people that have been a Christian for more than a year and they've never read the whole Bible. So when you stand before Jesus and he asks you, why didn't you read the Bible, what exactly are you going to say? Well, I just didn't have time. Well, I didn't have time to come to the earth and live 33 years and suffer and die either, but I did it so that you could be here. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm, I'm just trying to say, get a clue. How much time do you spend on social media versus time you spend in the Word of God? Now, you can compare those two and consider what you're going to be thinking about. Read the Bible. Renew your mind. That's the greatest thing. I, I, I'm just, I'm not going to be... It, reading the Bible has been the best thing I've ever done in far as getting God helping me get where I need to be in my life with Him. Period. End of story. Well, that's enough said. I'm not going to preach. But Paul's desire for us to respond to God's mercy, he says that our response to God's mercy needs to be self-sacrifice. But what is Paul's response versus our response to God's mercy? Several years ago, I was challenged by someone. They said, what you need to do, you need to sit down and read all the letters of Paul in one setting. All the letters of Paul in one setting. Without stopping. Just read Romans and go straight to 1 Corinthians. Go, what? You read them all. Don't stop. I did it. And here's two takeaways for me. One was, Paul was a one-man riot for Jesus. It's exhausting. The dude was an energizer bunny for Jesus. He is the original Jesus freak. He, everything about Christ motivated him. Everything about Christ. 
The second thing I noticed was that every time it seemed that Paul mentioned the mercy of God, it was like it, he couldn't restrain himself from praise. And you know what? You know what? I was convicted. You know why? Mercy of God didn't do that to me. Mercy of God didn't make me spontaneously praise, just burst out in song. That's what Paul did. Didn't do it at all. You know what that told me? There was something wrong with me in my understanding of the mercy of God and my relationship with Christ. And I pray for God to help me see, help me understand. You see, Paul knew that because of Jesus, he had dodged a bullet, God's wrath. And if I'm not humbly, gratefully motivated to cheerfully sacrifice my life for Christ, then I don't understand the seriousness of my sin or what he's done for me. Let, let, me tell you, let me tell you what it does when you drive away when the, when the officer has just given you a warning instead of a ticket. At that moment, if you've never been before, you're humbled. <laughs> and to recognize that if I got what I deserved today, if you got what you deserved today, you wouldn't be here. You'd be burning in hell. I'd be burning in hell. And that's reality, according to the Bible. Now, we don't think that, but that's, that's the Bible truth. We've all dodged a bullet, but Jesus took it for us. That's the essence of the good news. That's why we can't help but to shout praise and sing praise. A lot of evidence that I don't understand mercy, I'm not humble and grateful, are more upset about other people's sin than we are our own. We give ourselves a break, but we don't give them a break. We spend more time confessing their sin than our own. Have we forgotten where we were? Andre Crouch, how many of you remember Andre Crouch? Our Andre Crouch is coming right up here right now. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I praise God for, for Carly and his ministry and, and the people that, uh, amen. <laughs> so that's what, that's what I'm going to start calling you, is Andre. I mean, <laughs> Andre Crouch, years ago, wrote a song any of you remember it? It was called Take Me Back. Remember that song? And you know what he wrote? He said, take me back, Lord. Take me back to the place where I first received you. Do you know one of the reasons that I don't respond to the mercy of God the way Paul did? I forgot who I used to be. Because I remember when I first came to know Christ, I couldn't wait to tell my parents. To tell, I was so excited and I was so grateful. And, and that was the response to the mercy of God when I discovered that. And, and I got to tell you, I believe Paul never forgot 
because he told Timothy, I'm the chief of sinners. May you never forget in Christ who you used to be. And you didn't get what you deserved. And maybe you've never come to the place where you've had that moment where you've discovered the mercy of God. I want to tell you, there's only one safe place to be that's in Christ. Because outside of Christ, it's going to be the wrath of God. Jesus took the bullet for you. Don't waste it. Come to Jesus. Pastor Carly.